and we'll go ahead and get started. Um, good to see you guys. I'm glad to talk, start talking about the go and be thing. Again, um, that is going to be an incredible thing. You know my conviction about the church, if you've been around here for a little while, is that a church isn't just what we do on a Sunday morning. It's not just inside these walls. It is a community of believers, and it exists not only on Sunday mornings, but outside uh, these walls in the community, Monday through Sunday, 24 hours a day. And uh, that's in a day that we're going to come and just say, you know what, it is worthwhile for us to kick, out, kick us out of these walls and to go into the community and do a bunch of projects as we try to uh, just simply love our community for the praise and glory of God. And so please get signed up. As Brian talked about, procrastination is no good on that. Uh, we do need to know which projects you and your family want to be involved in. I would tell you, uh, we will have child care up here for birth. I think it's uh, three months old through uh, three. And so after that, you can bring your kids on these projects. We've got child-friendly projects. We'll be doing that day, too. And uh, if you are not mobile, you can't move around, we're going to have some projects around here, too, uh, for you as well. And so uh, I'm really, really excited about that. Um, another thing I'm going to uh, be able to introduce you guys to here in just a minute is uh, uh, we've got an opportunity to celebrate what God has been doing in the Fincher family. And if you've been here the past couple of weeks, you've heard me talk uh, a little bit about baby Elias Fincher, who's three years old. And... He fell in the pool and drowned a few weeks ago, two weeks, uh, two Sundays ago, and um, and God through His miraculous grace has brought him back. It is we've, you guys have been praying, uh, you guys have been there and present, and uh, He is here today, and we are celebrating the miracle uh, that is Elias Fincher. I want you guys to hear a little bit from the from the the family. So Chris and Kristen, where are you guys? Uh, come on up, guys. Y'all can run up here, and um, and we just want to celebrate some of these. Uh, some of what God has been doing in this family right here. And just want to say, church, you know, two weeks ago, we sat up there and I brought this need to you guys. And the outpouring of love from this community has just been exceptional. Just want to honor you with that. And just say, you guys were there. You guys were there supporting this family, praying for them, encouraging them. Uh, you go up to the hospital and, and you guys were sitting in the, in, in the waiting room already. And uh, Hamlin's, I'm looking at you too. You guys were there loving this family too. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Uh, but want to honor you in this as well. And so, um, guys, come on up here. I'm going to have to have, have you stand into the light right here. Uh, this was funny. I was talking with Chris, and uh, he's like, I do not like being in front of people and standing on stage. However, um, when you have something like this take place, you just got to gotta talk about it, and we got we to gotta give God the glory. So, Chris, will you just tell us a little bit? Um, this is Chris, and this is Kristen, and this is the little Elias right down here, three years old. And uh, you guys give it up for them. That time. <laughs> Buddy, we've been praying for you, kiddo. So, Chris, will you tell us a little bit about the story and kind of what happened and what you're thankful for today? I thought this would be less terrifying the second go around. No, no, no. There's more not, people here. Yeah, there's yeah. more. It's, so, if everyone could, like, look that way, not up here, <laughs> I'd appreciate it. Um, but, no, like, like uh, Aaron said, um, he, he fell into the pool. Um, and when we found him, he, he wasn't breathing. Um, and I immediately jumped in and, and uh, started doing CPR, thankfully. Um, my, my work had had to do the certification, so that's what we started to do. Christian called 911, and, and the, um, the EMS guys were there within four minutes, which is, you know, fantastic. Um, they, they got him into the ambulance, um, the, the EMS workers, you know, af after Chris and I had taken off, our, our neighbors were there, and they... They said to them, I'm, I'm sorry, this doesn't look good. This never ends well. Um, so we got to the uh, medical city uh, trauma 
unit and watched about a group of 10 doctors around him trying to stabilize him and get him breathing again. Um, and, and fortunately they were uh, after uh, eternity it felt like. Um, we got him up to the, the pediatric uh, ICU and they, the doctor didn't sugarcoat it for us and said that you know he would most, most likely be sedated uh, for at least a week before they could do some tests to find out if there was any uh, brain damage or, or any other things like that. Um, and then jump forward, uh, that was Saturday, uh, the day after Valentine's Day, uh, that it happened, and then Wednesday we went home. So there were just, throughout the whole process, um, <laughs> throughout the whole process, we, we were, we were happy. Those drums in a second, yeah. Those aren't real. God was, was just faithful and amazing and, and answered Every step along the way, you know, when I found him in the pool, God, please let him breathe again. And he answered that. And then we got him to the trauma and we said, you know, we prayed, God, please, please stabilize him. And they did that. And then we got him to uh, the PICU and, you know, God, please, we can't, we can't do this for a week. We can't wait a week while, you know, our little boy's on a breathing machine. And, um, you know, please heal him faster. And then the next day, they took the breathing tube out. And he recognized us, and that was another answer to prayer. Yeah. Um, he, and, and then, you know, they had, all, had him hooked up with electrodes all over his head to monitor, you know, any, you know, brain activity. And, you know, God, please, you know, let that turn out well. And it did. It came out great. Um, and then the last thing was, was mobility. He, he had a hard time standing after they took him out of sedation. And uh, we were just like, you know. Just praying that you know God would heal him fully, and he he obviously did because he's running around like a crazy man up here. Uh, Chris, you've got a picture of a. Uh, I love that. You've got a pic. You got a picture here with the EMT. If you'll pull that one up here in a sec. Yeah, I love that one. You tell us just a little bit real quick what that one's about, and what they told you. I thought it was so unique. Right. So we we went. There's a couple fire stations that we went to 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 say thank you because um, we couldn't have been more, more grateful. And we, he was climbing in the trucks, which... <laughs> we, he was climbing in the trucks and the ambulances and everything that, that he loves. He loves fire trucks. or was his, his favorite thing. And uh, I can't tell you how many times he's at the window uh, on our street waving at the fire trucks as they go by. So he got to ride in one and, and sit in one, and, and the, uh, that, that was one of the EMS uh, ladies that, that took him to the hospital. And she said, this is fantastic. You know, this never happens. And we were like, what? No one comes by and says thank you? And she says, no, we, we've never had anyone survive. Um, and they were just, you know, occurrences, you know, over and over and over again about how, you know, there's not a doubt in my mind that God performed a miracle just because of everyone, you know, the, the uh, chaplain who first came and saw us at the trauma unit, he came up a few days later and said, I had to come, and s- come up and see you guys again because it never ends out well. Yeah. Um, the nurse was there when he said it, and she looked at us and says, no, it never works out well. Yeah. Um, the, the, uh, the, the trauma doctor came up to the PICU after a couple, after two, three days, and we weren't there. They moved us up to the normal uh, pediatrics wing, and he 
tracked us down and came up and was like, guys, what, what's going on? Like, he shouldn't be up here. There's absolutely no way that he's, you know, uh, he's recovered this quickly, you know, and just person after person uh, have just been, you know, marveled at him running around the stage now. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the things we talked about. We said we want, we want the church to be able to see life right here mm-hmm. and for him to move around and to, and to be full of life. And one of the things we talk a lot about this past week is um, it's the question you always have. It's why did he say yes to this and not previously? Um, and there's not a big, there's not a great answer for that, except that, you know, when he does say yes, you, you come together and, you, and you, you give praise and glory to God for it. I'll tell you this, and Marcy's given me permission to share a little bit about this story, but um, when, the, when, it, when it all happened, you remember two weeks ago, um, the Hamlins um, were not as fortunate, and Marcy got to go back up there to the hospital that evening, and she was up there encouraging them. Um, with what God has been showing them and what, what, with what God had been showing her and everything. And she got to be there and to encourage this family. I talked with her this past week and let her know what we were going to be honoring today. And, and we were just saying, and, and she was just saying, how can we not give God glory for what took place here? Just because my answer wasn't, wasn't yes, we celebrate it when it is for other families. And, um, you know, we, we honor that. Can we, can we, we please give guys? them a round of applause? Yeah. And so they were there, and they've been there praising God on, on their behalf, and, and that's what we do. We stand here, and we just say, look, we don't understand all the details. We don't understand all the whys behind everything, but we know that God is a God who still hears prayers. He still intervenes. And you were talking about a different pastor at a different church that said, hey, don't expect miracles because miracles were biblical. There were times in the Bible, but he's done doing that today, and that's just not who he is. He still intervenes, and so we just wanted to come and celebrate with you guys and let the church celebrate together today, too, so... Um, I'd like to pray for you guys before you step down and stuff and just pray a blessing. Elias, can we pray for you, kiddo? Is that all right? Can we pray for you? Yeah, come on back here. This is going to be good. We're going to be praying for you because God has given you life, son. And so, um, Father, in church, if you guys would just pray with me. If you want extend to a, extend a hand of love here, I uh, would, would appreciate that too. But, Father, we love you and we give you praise and glory for baby Elias's life. And, Jesus, we lift you up high. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would bless and anoint his life God, that his mouth would be full of your praise, that he would come to faith at a young age, and that he would always know that you're a powerful, miracle-working God who hears prayer and gives life, not only now, but for all of eternity. And so use his life for the praise and glory of your name. And Jesus, we continue to pray for Kristen and Chris, Lord, as they recover from the trauma of this experience, would your spirit surround them with compassion, surround them with your presence, and surround them with your truth, Lord Jesus, I pray. And so we love you, God. We give you all glory for this. And it's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. Amen and amen. Love you guys. You guys, one more time. Amen. Amen. Well, church, we're going to continue in our Colossians series today. If this is the first time or first time in a little while, uh, we've been in this series for the past five weeks. We've got about two more weeks left in it. So I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word one more time. And I would remind you, we, we do this in honor of God's word and in recognition that we come together as a unified body in submission to God's word. And so that's what we're doing in this. We're going to pick it up today in Colossians 3, verse 15 through 4, 1. I'm going to camp out here for two weeks. I'm dividing this message up into two, um, and you'll see why in just a little bit. But here's what it says. Let the peace of Jesus Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. 
Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Holy Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Don't be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, don't embitter your children or they'll become discouraged. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eyes on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Jesus Christ that you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your bondservants with what is right and what is fair, because you know that you also have a master who is in heaven. Heavenly Father, we do honor you and praise you this morning, and God, we come and surrender to your word, and we pray that you would shape us today, that you would fill our hearts with gratitude today. Jesus, we give you our time, and Lord, we pray for many, many, many more miracles in our time together, Lord. Anybody that's come in today and that they are praying that same thing right now, Holy Spirit, would you breathe life into them, I pray. For the rest of us, God, I pray that you would just shape us, shape us from the inside out, Lord God, that our lives would be for your praise alone. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen. You guys can go ahead and take a seat. Um, I'll tell you, one of my favorite things on, uh, on Instagram, my favorite accounts to follow, is the original Life, life Hacks account. Um, anybody like what, checking out Life Hacks? You follow that account? There's like 5 million, million followers online, and so I know some of you, odds are some of you are there. But if you're not so familiar with the Life Hack thing, essentially what a Life Hack is is a better way to do something that you're used to doing or you've been used to doing for a really, really long time. That's what it is. So it takes common everyday occurrences and says, okay, here's the better, here's the easier way uh, to do that, that kind of thing. So it's all kinds of fun ones. Some of them are pretty intriguing and very helpful. It's things like how to fold a fitted bed sheet a little bit better. Tom, I think we got that one right up there in a little bit. Um, uh, but that, those are some of the, the life hacks that you're there. If you guys ever, you guys know what I'm talking about, the, the, the bed sheet thing. Um, they're pretty much impossible to do. You get the fitted sheet, you never know how to do it. That's what a life hack is. So they come in and, and they say, okay, here's how to actually do it, right? Uh, I was trying to do mine uh, just last night. They get out of the laundry. I think that those things are supposed to be like wadded up in a bowl and just thrown in the closet, right? You just give up on it and you'd be like, that thing's going to have wrinkles. We're going to lay it in anyway. It's going to be, it is what it is. But like you look at that, that's what a life hack is. So like, this is the proper way to do something right over there. I don't know. I looked at that and that is completely unhelpful. I don't know about you, but I tried to do it. I was like, I'm preaching on this tomorrow. I tried following instructions. And I was like, I can't do this thing. It's, it's worthless anyway. But it's all kinds of things like that. It's things like how to organize your clothes, how to fold them better and organize them, put them in a drawer, stuff like that. You know, you fold them up and then you kind of line them along vertically so you can see everything that's in your drawer, right? We have any Marie Kondo fans out there? Uh, hopefully not. I was not a huge fan there. But anyway, I watched. She, she changed the way that I organized my drawers, right? You can see everything right there. That's the right way to do it right there. So what the life hacks are. I love this next one. It's uh, uh, how to cook, how to bake cookies uh, in the summer in Texas, right? <laughs> I like this one. This is a fun, right? So you live in Texas, uh, you can always ask fresh, fresh baked cookies in the parking lot. Um, <laughs> it's kind of a two for one right there. You get you get a, an awesome smell. You open up the car door and it, boom, it's like a, a fresh baked oven right there. Uh, you can do it like that. And so how to make cookies right there. And I think the last one was. Uh, 
um, how to make a better sandwich. I like this one too. I love that, the, the perfect meat and bread proportions, right? There's no overlap. There's no excess. You can cut it in half. You can fold it all together. You get the perfect square on the bread. That is the right way to make a sandwich. And so anyway, I kind of like those. Tom, you can take that one off a little bit, but um, that's what the life hacks are, right? It's a, it's a better, more efficient, quicker, uh, and better way to do something that you're used to doing every single day. The reason that came to mind, it feels a little bit like the passage we're looking at today is kind of a, a, a life hack, if you will, for how to do family life, how to do work life in a better, more God-glorifying kind of way. It's what Paul's going to be talking about here in this section. We're going to break it up a little bit in the next couple weeks, but it is what he's talking about here in this section. In the first couple verses, in verses 18 and 19, it's all about, hey, there's a better way that you can do marriage that does not leave the other person wanting to find its way out. It doesn't leave the other person crushed. There's a mutuality here in love and submission. There's a mutual giving of one another to each other that doesn't crush and destroy the other person. There's a better way, more God-glorifying way for us to do marriage. There is a better, more God-glorifying way in verse 20 for us to do adolescence, right? That doesn't drive our parents crazy. We can be obedient to them. doesn't drive our parents crazy or anything like that. doesn't make your parents want to want to scream constantly or anything like that. Uh, verse 21, there's a better way to do parenting that's not going to exasperate your, your kids, make them want to run out the door and have nothing to do with you for years and years and years. Like there's a better way to do parents. There's a better way to talk with your kids than any of those kinds of things. There's a better way to do work than just clocking in, clocking out, going through the mundane every single day, not thinking about about it twice or anything like that. By the way, you're going to notice in the next couple weeks, and I'll explain this in more detail next week, but I'm going to be talking about bond servants and stuff in terms of work. And the reason is we've addressed this in the past, but when you talk about bond servants and, and even the biblical word slave as it comes up in scripture, it's not an affirmation of the broken system by any stretch of the imagination, right? It's not that. It's not even the same thing that we experience today, right? He's already eliminated racism in chapter 3, verse 11, when he says, uh, here in the body of Jesus Christ, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or not, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. He's broken down those barriers and said that's completely horrific. Kidnapping, violence, abuse, all the things that we associate with a modern day uh, understanding of a slave trade or anything like that, all of those things are biblically condemned. Uh, speaking about this is not an affirmation of this broken system. I want to make that qualification incredibly clear. What we're seeing in bond servants are people that sell themselves to somebody else uh, in such a way, in lieu of a banking system, in lieu of getting a loan or something like that, I'm giving my life to your service and stuff to a, a wealthy person, and I'm going to work my way out of this whole thing. That's largely what bond servants are, which is why we're going to be applying this to work. And what Paul is going to be saying is there, there's a better way to do your nine to five. There's a better way to do your work uh, rather than just clocking in and clocking out. Even in chapter 4, verse 1, there's a better way to be a master. There's a better way to be a boss. There's a better way to handle the power and authority that God has given you in whatever realm he may have given it to you in. Rather, and, and there's a way to do that that does not exploit the people who work for you. There's a way to do that with justice and equity that is better and is more God-glorifying in the end. Um, this past week, I was talking with a counselor friend of mine, and she was explaining how about 90% of the issues that she deals with are going to fall into one of these two camps, either the family life or the work life. But she says, pretty much everybody who comes and talks to me, and they've got issues we want to work through, we've got things we've got to deal with, they're going to find its roots typically in family life is what she said, but it's also going to trickle over into work. And so we know that's true, right? You think about this and you say, okay, the things that are broken in my life, the things that are difficult and painful and harmful, like typically a lot of times you can trace it back to something that happened when you were a kid. 
Maybe it was parents. Or maybe it's your current marriage and there's tension and there's difficulty that's going on right there. Maybe it's your kids and maybe there's a prodigal that's running away. Maybe you're an adolescent and you're saying, you know what, like, no one's listening to my voice. They're not even taking me seriously. Like I, my, my parents don't take me seriously. There's something that's going on in that family dynamic right there. Maybe it's a boss or a coworker that's bringing problems and bringing difficulty and bringing pain and things like that. Right, Paul's going to be talking to us in the middle of this section right here. And he's going to essentially be painting this picture for how to do marriage, how to do family, how to do parenting and adolescence, and how to do work in a better, more God-glorifying kind of way. And so the key to it all is what I want to talk to you about. It's essentially the heartbeat. It's essentially the motivation, what's going on behind the scenes. That's what I want to deal with this week. And next week we're going to get into a lot more of the specifics and how it functionally plays out. But the key to this whole thing we're going to see is found in verse 17. This is where he says, whatever it is you do, whether in word or deed, in other words, whether you're talking about it, you're speaking it out there, or you're actually doing something right there, whatever it is that you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, you ever thought about what it means to do something in the name of Jesus Christ? Like, what does it mean? We, we use this language all the time, right? Uh, we pray in the name of Jesus all the time. We say, Lord, I need you to, Lord, I'm praying for healing. I'm praying for this over here. I'm praying, praying for provision. I need wisdom over here. To God be the glory, provide all these things. Oh, yeah, I almost forgot. Um, in Jesus' name I pray, amen, right? We tack that on and in. Is there something special about the name of Jesus? Right? Is it, is, is it some sort of a magical wand that you can throw on there and say, hey, that guarantees you an answer to your prayer and the affirmative as you're praying it and stuff like that? No. Like, it's not what we're talking about when we pray in Jesus' name. Uh, we know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Acts chapter 19, there's a group of traveling exorcists, and it says in this passage, they're out there trying to cast demons out of people. It's a fascinating passage, but it says, they try to evoke the name of Jesus over those who are demon-possessed. Okay, so they would come and they would say, in the name of Jesus Christ, whom Paul preaches over here, um, I command you to come out of that person. So these traveling exorcists, they have no faith whatsoever. They don't believe in Jesus. They saw Paul do this with great, it, with, and it worked for him, right? And so they're going, hey, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul talks about over there, I'm praying that the demons, you would come out over there, right? And it doesn't go well for them. If you remember this story at all, we find out a little bit later on, one of the evil spirits answers one of them. And I love his response. You remember this? He says, okay, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. Who the heck are you? Right? He's like, who are you? Like, what, uh, you're telling me to get out? What authority do you have? You don't even know who this person is. And then it goes on and it simply says, the man who had the evil spirit, who was possessed by this evil demon, he jumped on him and he overpowered them and he gave him such a beating they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Right? And so when we talk about doing something in the name of Jesus, we're not talking about a magic wand. We're not talking about how there's something arbitrarily powerful about just the name of Jesus. That's a great name. You should all name your kids or something like that. Like when you pray in the name of Jesus, you are praying because of your faith in him, right? You're, praying, you're recognizing that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, I have access to the Father in ways we never otherwise would have had. And they're also praying in alignment with his will and in submission to his will and all those things. And then you're praying in according to the authority which has been given to you in Jesus Christ. Jesus comes and he says, hey, I want you to pray for miracles. I want you to trust me for miracles. I want you to ask me for wisdom and discernment. I want you to pray, uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth right now as it already is in heaven. I want you to pray in these different ways. There's authority that's given to you in Jesus Christ. It's how you pray in the name of Jesus Christ. So when we talk about doing something in the name of Jesus, we're talking about something that's very, very similar. We're talking about doing whatever it is you do, whether that's in word or it's in deed, in such a way that remembers your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in such a way that's in alignment with his character. 
And so we're saying what he's saying here is in, in all these different things that you do, whatever it may be, wherever it is that you go, specifically in your marriage, in your relationship with your kids, if you are a kid, in your relationship with your parents, uh, in your relationship with coworkers and your boss, and whatever this world may be, whatever that thing may be, whatever it is that you do, don't forget that you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Like, don't forget that you are, you've been born again and that you have a brand new identity in him. Don't forget that you are a follower of Christ and don't let your attitudes, don't let your actions, the things that you say, the things that you do, everything that you choose to engage in, how you choose to engage in it, don't let those fall outside of how you've seen it already exampled and modeled for you in Jesus Christ. Don't forget those kinds of things. I'll never forget back when I was uh, a good example of this is I was, when I was working at Sewell, I did car sales. I told you that a number of times before, um, right, coming right out of college. They sent me back. I was working at Sewell GMC. They sent me back to Texas A&M to do a recruiting visit. And uh, I was a rookie there. It felt it was a lot of fun. I was like, heck, yeah, I get to go back to College Station, talk about this great company. And the boss comes in. He sits me down. And he goes, hey, this is not an entertainment trip for you. This is not a vacation. This is a work trip. You need to understand that every minute you're there, every conversation you have, you are a representative of Sewell Motor Company. Like, that's who you are. You need to not forget who you actually are. And so I get there on the stage at A&M, and I'm like, hey, my name is Aaron Armstrong. I'm here today on behalf of Sewell GMC. Uh, actually, the first thing you say when you go to College Station is you say, howdy, Ags. Uh, that's the first thing you say. And then you're like, I am Aaron Armstrong, fighting class of 2002. Then I'm a representative of Sewell GMC. And everybody hoots and hollers, and everyone gets saved again, and it's fantastic. And it's just <laughs> uh, revival takes place, and that's just kind of how it plays. But for the rest of that week, and you're having all these conversations, and every conversation you have is through the lens of here is who I am here to represent. I'm a representative of Sewell GMC, and that plays out in the way that I engage you in conversation, the things that I do on the weekend, and every other thing. It's exactly what Paul is saying here, church. Whatever you do, especially in these things, they are prone to do a lot of damage if you do not do them well. They are prone to bring you a lot of trauma if you do not do them well, especially in these things. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, remembering that you're a believer and keeping it in line with his character and his perfect will. He continues and he goes on a little bit more specificity, and this is the thing I want to major on today. But he continues and he says, do whatever you do in the name of Jesus Christ, and here it is, do it with gratitude. Do it with gratitude. Giving thanks to the Father through him. Three times in the past few verses here, 15, 16, and 17, he's going to repeat the exact same thing. Verse 15, he says, let the peace of Jesus Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you are called to be peace and be thankful for this. And he explained it in chapter 1, verse 22. Christ's blood, which was shed on your behalf, it created peace for you between, uh, between you and God the Father. Christ used a sacrificial death. His blood created peace, right? You have his wrath against sin is appeased, and you have this, this now peace. It has unified you with other believers here. There's a unity in the body of believers. And so he says, don't forget that peace which has been created for you and be thankful for it. Verse 16 is the same thing. Sing with gratitude in your hearts toward the Lord Jesus Christ. It's why we praise and we give him thanks for all these things. Again in 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do it with gratitude, giving thanks to the Father through him. Church, you ever notice how difficult it is to maintain an attitude of gratitude on a daily basis? Like you say it all the time at dinner time. Oh, thanks for this food. Thanks for my friends. Thanks for this, that, and the other. But have you actually noticed and actually wrestled with how difficult it is to maintain an attitude of gratitude on a daily basis? I'm thinking of uh, Luke chapter 17. It's this famous story where Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. 
and he comes across 10 different lepers, not leopards, but lepers, the skin disease and everything. He sees 10 different lepers, and he feels compassion towards them, and so he goes and he touches them, and he heals all 10 of them. The 10 different lepers are all excited about their new healing that's taking place. They're all jumping up and down. They're excited. They're running off in the distance to go tell all their friends all about it and everything. While they're running off, one of them remembers that it's Jesus that came and touched them and healed them. And he turns around and he looks at Jesus. And he runs back and, and he goes back to express his gratitude to Jesus. And you remember what Jesus says? Jesus looks at him and he says, um, didn't I heal 10 of you guys? Like, where, where are the other jokers at? Where are your friends? Like, where's everybody else at? Why'd they run off? Nevertheless, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're here. You're, go in peace. Your, your faith has made you well. Church, it just seems like it's not our default to really sit in gratitude very long, is it? Like David Platt talks about this a lot, but he talks about the three natural enemies of gratitude which we encounter every single day. You know what they are? Comparison, greed, and entitlement. Comparison, greed, and entitlement. Comparison is... We talk about the comparison trap all the time, and we know that comparison is the thief of joy. Thank you, Teddy Roosevelt. Comparison, by the way, it's not biblical, but it is true, but Teddy Roosevelt gets the credit for that. Um, comparison is a thief of joy because comparison is the thing that keeps your eyes fixed on everything that you don't have, everything that's not perfect, instead of looking and relishing in the things that God has given to you as a gift every single day. That's why comparison is the thief of joy. It's always on what you don't have. It's always on what's out there. It's always on what's wrong rather than the gifts that he's given to you every single day. It goes on and talks about this is one of the major problems with pornography and one of the major problems that we need to be aware of when it comes to social media today. Right? And so you think about pornography. Don't think about it too long or anything like that, of course. But you think about that for a second. It's like, what is it? You're fantasizing about something you don't have. You're fantasizing about something that's not yours to have. And you're going off in there in your mind and in your heart, and you're fantasizing on this thing, and there's a comparison that is taking place, which over time is making you numb to the real thing at home. Right? It's not shocking that it is so detrimental to our actual health and to the state of our marriages when we go and engage and, um, and continue in a, in a pornography addiction or something like that. It is a comparison trap that is taking place in our head that is penetrating deep into our heart and making us numb to the real thing at home. We're not grateful for the real thing at home because we are longing for other things that are out there that are not reality over there. It's the same thing, very similar thing uh, in social media. And hear me on this when I talk about social media. Not against social media by any stretch of the imagination. I enjoy it. I think it's a great communication medium. However, like any medium, we've got to understand what's healthy about it and what's dangerous about it. Church, have you ever noticed how you get on social media and, the th and like immediately you just start gravitating to the perfect and to the ideal and getting frustrated um, and getting frustrated and, and angry at the fact that you don't look like that person over there? It's not a surprise that our younger people today are dealing with suicide at twice the rate of any other generation that are dealing with grief, well, um, I'm sorry, that are dealing with depression and anxiety at rates that none of us have ever experienced in the past. Like, it's not shocking. We're growing up in a comparison trap kind of a world. Everything online, is, is a lot of it is leaning towards this comparison trap. We're looking at it and saying, wow, that person is beautiful. That person is, is perfect. That person's got it all together. They've got the perfect family. Look how happy their marriage is. Look at how great their job is. Look at all the, the material things that they've purchased. Like, that's wonderful. I don't have any of those things. And we're, there's a sinking depression that comes and takes in, that takes over at that place. Church, it's the comparison trap that, that we're talking about right here. It's all around us every single day. It's the thief of joy, and it kills your ability to be grateful. Greed is the thing we all understand. You see it uh, in certain areas of the world and stuff, but it's the thing that, that, that says, hey, thank you for this gift. However, I'm still going to be needing a little bit more. 
Thank you for that raise, but let's be real about it. It's still not going to be enough. God, I'm thankful for this house, but let's be real because I'm going to need an extension here very, 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 very soon. Like greed is the thing that's always looking around you saying, no matter what I have, I still need more. Entitlement is a very, very similar thing. Entitlement is the thing that makes you believe that what you have isn't actually a gift because it's something I've earned and it's something that I actually now deserve, right? It's not a gift. It's become an expectation. It's become a, hey, this is now normative instead of a gift that I've received from God. Um, you notice this happened like you, it's the reason why, uh, it's the reason why very few of us have a, it's why few of us are willing to kind of downsize our lifestyle if we know that we need to downsize our lifestyle. It's become, it's become a new expectation. It's why we don't trade in our iPhone for a flip phone or anything like that. We become entitled to this. We, it's become a new expectation. Uh, there's an old show on a little while ago. I really hope and pray none of you saw it or watched it. It was called My Super Sweet 16. I don't know if you guys ever saw this show by any stretch. Yeah, I really hope not. I saw one episode, and it was only for sermon research purposes. Um, and so... <laughs> And let's put it out there like that. You know exactly what it is, though. It's like, it's like my super sweet 16 party. And, you know, they're all half a million dollars to a million dollars for a 16-year-old's birthday. Like, you could have ended world hunger right there in that party. But instead, hey, I got three different outfits to choose from, a lot of friends. JT shows up and does my concert at my party. And I get a sweet new car. All right, that's the whole show. And so I'm watching this one episode. And it is everything that you would expect it to be. And it comes time for dad to come and, and give his little girl a blessing and stuff. It's her it's her birthday gift, and so she's got the blindfold on, and he wheels out the sweet, like, 7 Series black BMW, right, for 16-year-old little girl. And, um, and, and so they come out there, like, everybody's going, oh, my gosh, this is so awesome. They remove that blindfold, and everybody's going, oh, yeah. And she goes, what in the world is this? I wanted the Lexus. I'm not kidding you. This little spoiled girl is just, like, pitching an absolute fit on this thing, she didn't get the Lexus and stuff. And like, it's all awkward and dad's apologizing like he did something wrong or something like that. And it's just an awkward thing. And you're looking at this going, like how in the world did we get there? How in the world did this become normative in your way of thinking to think that, hey, a BMW 7 Series is not a gift from your father. It, it, it's all of these different kinds of things right here. It's the comparison trap. Well, so-and-so down the street has a little bit better. It's greed. I always need a little bit more. It's entitlement saying, hey, a long time ago in the early days, this used to be a gift. However, I've become so accustomed to these different gifts, it's now become an expectation. And this is a really, really unique example right there because it's kind of the extreme version. But I want to challenge this because I promise you it's in all of our hearts too. It's not just in the Hollywood. It's not just on Wall Street. It's not just in those extreme examples and stuff like that. Pay attention to the things that make you angry today. Pay attention to the things that you feel dissatisfied and you want to rip someone apart on their, about their customer service. I mean, honestly, think about this. A little, a little while ago, I was on an airplane and I found myself getting aggravated at how slow the Wi-Fi was on an airplane. <laughs> like, can you imagine that? Like, I'm in a giant metal tube flying across the sky like 8,000 miles per hour. Like, I'm, I'm going to be in like across the world in an hour right there and I'm mad because the Wi-Fi is not a little bit faster. Right? I'm like, oh my gosh, it's taking a little bit too long to download my movie. I get to watch from the comforts of my own chair right here with my own wireless headphones. Thank you, Bose, right? Like, are you kidding me? Like a little while ago, my, my hot water is still out of my shower right there. It's like warm, lukewarm water maybe in the morning. So I got AC blowing. I'm freezing in the morning. It's not, I'm like getting angry. I'm like, Lord, are you kidding me? What's going on here? Church, like this is hot water we're talking about. Like that's what we're talking about right here. 
Meanwhile, early this week, I get a text message or I get an email from a teacher at a local school nearby, and she sends me this picture of some students in her classroom, and these are the circumstances that they're dealing with. We've got a picture of it right here. But this is kindergarten students, and she says, this is one picture of an entire classroom. I can show you of pictures of students that come to school every day, and they cannot afford new shoes. They don't get to tie their shoes. Their feet are, 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 are too big for their shoes. They're all cramped up. They're always in pain all the time. And right here in your backyard, just wanted to let you know, there's families that can't afford new shoes. Is there anything you and your church can do about this situation? Church, are you kidding me? I'm looking at that thing like that's what's happening. Like, it's not like a third world country around the, around the globe. This is our backyard. And I'm sitting here grumbling and complaining that my, my shower's not hot enough. My Wi-Fi is not fast enough. Church, the entire point of this whole thing is to remember that everything you have is a gift that has been given to you by God. Like the whole point of this passage is to remember that all of these different things are gifts that are given to you by God. You're not entitled to any of it. It's the nature of God's grace. You don't deserve it, but God gave it to you anyway. All of these different things are gifts that have been given to you by God. The air that you breathe is a gift. Your life is a gift. The freedom that we have right now to worship and, and not worry about persecution, it is an absolute gift. Your marriage is a gift. Your kids are a gift. Wi-Fi is a gift. The roof over our head, the air conditioning, the heating in the wintertime in some places of the country, I heard about that, right? Like food is a gift, right? Like health is a gift. Every minute you have with your kids is an absolute gift that has been given to you by God for the purposes of his praise and for his glory and for your mutual enjoyment, church. I just got to ask you this question. I think it's the question that he's asking us here in this text. Like when was the last time that you sat back and you slowed down long enough and you took an extended amount of time to simply sit there and to express your gratitude for the things that he's given to you and the gifts that he's given to you in your life. Church, when was the last time that you said, hey, beyond, before I get to the next show, the next job, the next thing to do with my kids and my family, the next thing that I'm going to go do for entertainment, like when was the last time you took a step back and you spent an extended amount of time just saying, Father, thank you for the number of things that you have given to me in my life that I have everything to be grateful for. Like that's the entire point of this whole passage. That's why I don't want to move on from this passage and talk about anything else because we need to sit in this moment and recognize that we have been gifted an enormous amount of things and an enormous amount of grace. He's a good, good father, loves to give good gifts to the children that he loves. Like when was the last time that you sat there and you named it and you thought about it. I gotta be honest, I was thinking about this this past week and I just sat there with a lot of conviction. Because even in, I, I felt like I was a very grateful person in a lot of ways and I just, I sat there and just let me go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into this text. And I felt an enormous amount of conviction because I found that I sit there and I say, Lord, thank you for my wife, thank you for my kids, thank you for my family, thank you for my job. And I talk about it in big picture terms. And I only tend to thank him for the things that are going well in my life at that point in time. And then I only tend to thank him for the things that are really, really big in my life. I don't get very specific and I don't get very detailed all the time. And all that reveals to me is that I've become very, very entitled to so many other things that I enjoy in my life every single day. Church, I mean, the entire thing. The entire point in this thing is before you get into the things you need to do in these different arenas of life that you live in every single day, don't forget that they're a gift. Like husbands, look at your wife today and don't forget that your wife is a gift that has been given to you by God. 
for mutual enjoyment and benefit and, 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 and joy and like don't and stuff there, but for the praise and for the glory of God. Don't forget that your spouse is a gift. Wives, like don't don't forget that your husband is a gift that has been given to you by God. Like even if they wear the fanny pack on date night, right? <laughs> or even if they don't make what you wanted them to make. Even if you don't have the standard of life that you thought that you were going to have for the longest of time. Even if you don't have perfect health and it's become a lot more difficult than you thought it was going to be. Like don't forget, church, that they are a gift that has been given to you by God. I mean, Paul's going to say in 1 Corinthians 7, he's even going to say like his singleness is a gift. And I hope you understand that you're sitting here, maybe you're going, hey, I don't have a spouse. Paul's going to say, like, my singleness is a gift. And some of you that are married, you're like, you're going, I understand that, right? Like, I, <laughs> Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 7. He's like, it's not just marriage as a gift. He's like, my singleness is a gift. Because in my singleness, I'm able to, I, I know the joy of what it is to be single-minded in my devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. To be unfettered by worry and pain and difficulty. And he said, like, my singleness is a gift, church. Like, singles, when was the last time you sat there and you said, Lord, this season of life that I'm in right now, whether it's permanent or whether it's a season, wherever it may be, like, it's a gift that you've given to me. Help me see you in the middle of this thing. Church, every single one of these things is a gift. If you've got a job today, I hope you understand your job is a gift. Even if your boss isn't perfect, even if your coworkers are annoying, not. Like, even if you got, got to get up really, really early in the morning, go to bed really late in it, like, it's a gift. Not everybody has a job. Not everybody has a paycheck. Not everybody knows how they're going to make their, how they're going to pay their bills every single month. Not everybody knows how they're going to eat the next day. Here in America, not everybody knows if they're going to be able to buy shoes in the next year. Church, your job is a gift. And I'm telling you, because I, I, I talk with people all the time, they don't have it, we're praying, we're looking, we're searching, we're begging, we're hoping. Not everybody has that as in their life, in, in your job. Like, when was the last time you remembered all the little annoyances? I promise you, you remembered it when you said yes and you received that job. Like, this is a gift. On your wedding day, back in the beginning, you remembered your spouse was a gift, right? You celebrated that gift. You knew it was a gift long before it went sour and sideways and stuff. Like, you remembered there was a time that it was absolutely a gift. Church, don't forget, it's still a gift. Your kids, even if they keep you awake at night, it's a gift. Every minute you get to spend with them, it's a gift. There's families around here that will tell you, don't take it for granted. Your children are a gift from God. Your parents, your parents love you. If they love you, if they're around you. Even if they're overbearing, they're a gift, church. Don't forget that. Even if, like, don't, even if they're overbearing, they got too many rules, even if they're a little annoying, even if they're a little embarrassing, you, you kind of want them to drop you off a few streets away, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like, even in that, like, they're an absolute gift that they're around and they love you, they care for you and protect you. I'll never forget back when I was in high school, I was out with my buddies one night and I was complaining to them about the curfew that my parents set that night. I had to be home earlier than everybody else and I was so upset about it. And I was complaining. I'll never forget one of my friends just stopped me on my tracks and he goes, you need to stop complaining right now. He goes, at least you have parents that care when you get home. I remember sitting there just going, oh my gosh. I didn't even think about it like that. Church, the entire point, don't forget that all these different things are a gift. Even if it's 
turned into something in your life to this point in, day, point in time where it doesn't really feel like it's a gift in your life. Your spouse doesn't feel like they're a gift. Your kids don't feel your parents in your past. It doesn't feel like they were a gift. Church, like you can always, always, always be grateful, not only because there's something to be grateful for, but you can always be grateful because you're always able to look up and to see God and to see him in the heavenlies and what he's doing on your behalf. Like I don't want us to miss right here. The apostle Paul is full of gratitude. And he's writing to all of us about gratitude in our life from prison. He's not writing from the penthouse at the W downtown. He's not writing from courtside at the Mavs game. He, he, he's writing from the depths of a prison. Having been a person who's been persecuted for his faith, he knows what it means to be left. He knows what it means to be betrayed. He knows what loss feels like. He knows what pain is. He knows the sting of death. He knows all these different kinds of things. And still in the middle of this thing, he is full of gratitude. And in chapter 4, you're going to see that he's praying. He's saying, hey, Lord, pray for us, church. I need your prayers. Not that I'm going to get out of prison immediately, but that he's going to give me new opportunities from within prison to present the gospel. Church, how in the world do you say that unless you've got your eyes looked up, looking up? How in the world do you say that unless your eyes are fixed on eternity and your vision is so large that it makes the things that you're dealing with today so very, very small in comparison? It's why he says in Romans 8, 18, he says, for I'm convinced that the sufferings of this present time, they're not worthy to be compared to the glories which are still to become. Like he knows what it is to have his, fixed up, his eyes fixed on high, so high. I see the glory of God around us. I see what he's doing. I see how he redeems. I see how he gives us new life. I see what he's doing in the future. And even in those things, even though I'm not thanking him for the immediate evil that I'm seeing over here, I'm praising him for so many other things that are going on around there. Church, it's not Pollyanna thinking over here. It's eyes wide open to the enormity of his grace in your life. Church, I promise you, you see this take place all the time. You've noticed how people who have experienced more pain and more trauma are full of more gratitude than people who have experienced every blessing in life there possibly is. They're able to show up at hospitals when no one else would, when it doesn't make sense because they're full of gratitude. Or do you see this whenever you travel to third world countries on mission trips or something like that? Impoverished situations, people have experienced more trauma and pain than anyone in the, in, in the world can ever imagine. And they have such joy and contentment and satisfaction. And, and it just puts us to shame over here in the States that have absolutely everything. You've seen this before, right? 2005, I went to Rwanda. I've shown you these pictures and told you this before. But uh, they're still recovering from the trauma of 1994, the genocide that took place. One million people lost in a 100-day period. We went there and visited this widow's ministry, and, and there's, a, there's a group of ladies, all of them widows from the, from, the, um, from the war. All of them lost their husbands. Many of them lost their children. And literally, we arrived there lining the streets, jumping up and down, celebrating, praising God. We get into this church. They're jumping up and down, and they're praising God for an hour. We sit in here, and we're like, okay, when's this song wrapping up? When are we going to get to, like, like when, when can we get to Luby's and stuff? Like, they're jumping up and down for an hour, praising God for the things that he's done. I'm talking with the pastor afterwards, and he says, you know what, they come back here, and that's how they begin every single morning. They come and they gather as a small gathering of widows, and they just come and they praise God for his grace and for his mercy in their life. And then he goes on and he explains, and he says, they've come to do this because they've realized the power of gratitude in their life. That it's not just right to give God all the praise and glory that he's due, which it is. He is deserving of all praise and glory, but he's, they've come to understand that there is a benefit to gratitude that takes place too. They've come, to, they've come to understand that as I come and express my praise, as I come and express my gratitude, it fills me with joy. And that joy comes and it begins to overflow in every area of my life. And so I go back home and I found that, hey, I'm able to operate in relationship with my kids with an experience of joy 
and it creates a better loving relationship than I otherwise would have had. My relationship with my husband is better now because it's coming from an overflow of joy. I'm actually able to go to work and produce better work and be a better co-worker and be a more submissive person to my boss in that arena over there because of the joy which I'm filled up on through my gratitude because of his grace in my life, which I began with that morning. In other words, what they're discovering is the power of gratitude, not only because it's good and right, but because it's actually good for me and it actually comes and has a way of improving the circumstances that are painful in my life to begin with. Church, it's why every single article that you read about today, even from unchristian perspectives, are saying like gratitude is the key to everything. Gratitude is the key. USA Today, 2015, came out with an article that said gratitude is the key to a thriving marriage. You know that, right? Gratitude is the key to a thriving marriage, it says. They interviewed 468 married people on relationship satisfaction, covering everything from communication to finances. And what they found was that the most consistent predictor of a happy marriage was the ability of a spouse to not only feel gratitude, but to be able to express it to their significant other. In other words, it's not just, yeah, 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 I'm a grateful person, right? But it's, hey, I actually feel the feelings of gratitude. And I actually take the time to pay attention to that in my spouse and in my kids. And I, and I pay attention to these things and I feel what's going on in here. And then I go the extra step and I express that gratitude to them also. I mean, we see this take place all the time, right? Ted Futurist, he talks about, he's a co-author of the study. He explains it like this. He says, feeling appreciated and believing that your spouse values you directly influences how you feel about your marriage, how committed you are to it, and your belief that it'll last. Church, we know that that's true, Right? I mean, you see this in experience, like those moments of joy in your marriage when it, even in the early days, maybe there wasn't a whole lot, but you know what it is like when your spouse sees you. They see your hard work. They see your service. They see your attention with the kids. They see your love. Like they see your contribution. They see the way that you give yourself to the family. And then they come and they verbalize those things to you. It, it creates intimacy like nothing else. I mean, it continues on and just talks about how it's actually good for your health. Physically, it's physically good for your health. It talks about how the effects, uh, it can lower your blood pressure. It can improve the immune function, facilitate more efficient sleep, it talks about. Another study says that it's actually good for your heart. There's less, less inflammation. It's healthier heart rhythms going on. There's less depression. There's less fatigue. There's less moodiness. And there's much better sleep. In other words, they're seeing that gratitude has the exact opposite impact of depression in your life. It's the, it does the exact opposite thing. Another one's just talking about how gratitude is the key to happiness, church. Like all of this is common sense. We know this, right? We know this. A, they did this study, right? They take three control groups. One of them, every day, I think for three months, they would write out one brand new thing that they were thankful for. And they would get very, very specific for it, with it. Another group, <laughs> they were the complaining group. This is kind of funny. They take, this group gets to take a card and they write out one complaint every single day. It's like Festivus for the rest of us, right? Um, and so it's like they write out one complaint every single day. And just complain about it. And then the third group, they come and they do nothing. And they, they, they measure them at the beginning, they measure them in the end. Church, it's not a surprise what happens. What do you think happens? Like the group that's practicing gratitude every single day, at the end of the three months, they are more optimistic. They are more satisfied in life. They feel better about their spouse. Like they have greater self-confidence inside of them. The group that complains every single day, it's not surprising. They're pessimistic, right? They're depressed. Like they're, they're more anxious, they're angry a lot of times, and that comes out in outbursts towards their spouse, towards their family, towards coworkers, towards friends and different things. Like it's not shocking some of these results. I think that one of the things that was interesting about this, the control group, they had a lot of the same effects as the group that wrote out complaints. 
At the end of that time, they did absolutely nothing, and it found that they had a little bit more depression, a little bit more anger, a little bit more sadness, a little bit more of these things. Why? Because that seems to be our default, doesn't it? It seems to be our default that gratitude is very, very difficult to hold on to. And so Paul just simply says, he says, this is the key to the whole thing. And I don't think it's all shocking. I don't think it's shocking. I mean, I'll never forget, I, I, I praise God for my parents all the time. And the way that my parents prayed at night before we went to bed was very different. We would come together and they would come in my room. And rather than just saying, Lord, thank you for Aaron. Thank you for the next day. I pray that tomorrow is blessed and happy and all these fun things. Whoever was up that night, right, dad would pray, mom would pray, and they would just come in there and just get very, very specific. Lord, thank you for Aaron. Thank you for the kindness that's in his heart. I love the little man that he's becoming. I remember dad praying this over and over and over again. I love the joy that he brings into our family. And then mom would get up there and she would bring her own different flavor. Lord, I'm thankful for the way that he loves his brothers. I'm thankful for their friendship and their relationship. I'm thankful, like the specifics of this prayer time was absolutely incredible. What do you think that that does for you when you're not only hearing gratitude towards the Lord for this thing, but gratitude expressed also to you in that thing? Do you think we're having a problem with obedience a whole lot? Um, do, do you think that, that we're dealing with anger towards kids in that, in that area? Like, no, it, it, it creates this intimacy of this you wouldn't believe. Started practicing this with Caleb a little, bit, little, little while ago and just coming in just saying, Father, I'm thankful for the joy in his life. I'm thankful for this, that, and the other, and just praying these blessings over him. Church, like what would it be like if that's how you prayed with your kid? If that's how you prayed for your spouse, wherever you were, and maybe you're kind of on the back end, but like what would it have been like had your spouse began every morning with an attitude of gratitude saying, Father, thank you for this person you brought into my life. Thank you for the joy that they are, the way that they serve, the things that they bring in, their hard work at work, whatever they do at home, the way that they interact with the kids, the way that they love, the way that they serve. What if they began with that gratitude? Do you think it may have been able to be sustained over the course of time? What do you think it would do in your marriage today? What do you think it would do in your job and in your workplace today if you began every day, Father, thank you for this job. Thank you for giving me a paycheck and provision every single day. Thank you for my coworkers, even the ones that are, you know, those people over there. But, but Father, with, I just thank you for them. It is a gift that you've given to me. I'm telling you, it would change everything. That's why Paul's saying right here, before you even get into the practical details of these different things, it has to begin with gratitude. It has to begin with gratitude. Gratitude is the key to it all. And so here's how I want to end it today. All I want to do is I want to invite you into a seven-day gratitude challenge. And I've never really been big on the whole challenge things. Typically people challenge me. I'm like, no way, I'm too independent today. But, um, and I wish I could say a seven day was magical, that it was like, hey, seven's the perfect day. There's nothing there. I just wanted to do seven days. So I want to invite you into the seven-day gratitude challenge, that we would practice and we would be a people that are not only full of gratitude but practiced in expressing it not only to the Lord but also to a significant person in your life. That you would take the next seven days in a row. It can begin today. It could begin tomorrow, but for seven days in a row, at least five minutes every day specifically dedicated to expressing gratitude to the Lord and to somebody else for the things in your life. And so here's what I want you to think about it. If you want to get very specific in this thing, think about your family in one category, whatever that may look like. Maybe it's a spouse, kid, parent. Uh, maybe you don't have a family right now. Maybe it's a best friend or a friend group or something like that. Think about who you consider that immediate family right there. Name one person. And just go, Lord, and just dive down deep. Greater than five minutes, you're going in deep. All the things that I'm grateful for about that person. Verbally express it to the Lord or else write it in a journal. Right? Don't just think it. Get it outside of your head. Verbally express it. Write it down in a journal. 
and then find that person and tell them one of those things and just say, you know what, I just want to let you know how grateful I am for you. Seven consecutive days. If you want to share it with us online, you can tag us on Instagram, uh, hashtag grateful if you want to. We're at Dallas Bible Church, and uh, we got a Facebook page too. That's easy to find there. But my hope and my prayer is that God would do a work here, that our eyes and our vision would be expanded, and that we would recognize that he is the author and perfecter of our faith, that he is the giver of good gifts, that we would be a church that is full of gratitude and well-practiced in expressing it not only to the Lord, but also to the people in our lives. And then in the end, that he would receive all the praise, all the glory that he is actually due.